following from Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. God's word as follows. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, that is Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. May the Holy Spirit bless this reading and the interpretation and preaching of this word. Um, We are all followers of something, aren't we? Uh, I know people who follow the stock market. They know when the bonds are up or down and the stocks are flat or producing what what they expect. It's following at somewhat of a distance. It's a little more than information, isn't it? To follow something like the stock market. Uh, Some of us follow sports teams, don't we? And uh, when our team wins, we just sat in the uh, bleachers, but we go home and say, we won. (laughs) We weren't even in the game. We won, why? Because we're following a team much more intimately. That's a closer following. Um, basic training, what we call in the Navy boot camp, essentially was two months to teach us two things. First, to get a little more vigorous and, and uh, strong physically. But secondly, to be a follower. Follow without question. When the squad leader said something, do it. Or the platoon leader or whoever it was. That's following that requires discipline. And really that's the kind of following that we should have as Christians of our Lord. The Apostle Paul put it this way, follow me as I am a follower of Christ. Boy, if you look at the way... Paul followed Jesus everywhere and endured all sorts of difficult experiences. And he says, that's the way I expect you to follow Jesus. That was Paul's admonition. And then in 1 Peter 2, verse 21, we are told to follow in his steps. Wow. In the steps of Jesus? My. Well, that's what we are expected to do. Among those whom Jesus encountered, we're still talking about encounters with Jesus, you know, in these uh, 
evening opportunities. Jesus met three, what I'm calling, reluctant followers. And I have a, uh, an adjective to describe each one of them. Verses 57 to 58, we're going to call them comfortable followers. Verses uh, 59 to 61, we're going to call them that follower, or that one who was called by Jesus to, to follow him, a hesitating follower. And then finally, the last two verses, we're going to have examples of a compromising follower. Some of you know that among my responsibilities at Westminster Seminary was to teach preaching. And I'm always a little scared when I go to hear one of my former students because if he can't preach, it's my fault. See, that's the way I feel. But one thing I tried to press upon them was to, to use as small a term as possible to describe the essentials of a given passage. So I've chosen these three adjectives, and I hope it's helpful for you. Reluctant followers, comfortable, hesitating, and compromising follower. And I hope none of us fit any of these categories. First of all, then, a comfortable follower. Described in verses 57 and 58, as they were walking along the road, the man, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. That's a profession of faith, isn't it? He says, I will follow Jesus. And Jesus replies rather strangely at first glance. He says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. You see, there must have been a lot of people attracted to Jesus because of the dramatic things he did. My, he healed lepers. He raised the dead. He stilled storms. He restored children to their parents, children who were wayward, or even on one occasion, someone had actually died. He fed 5,000 people from an, from an original supply that was hardly adequate for a family. And many people who saw all of these things happening thought that it would be really interesting to be an associate of that remarkable person. After all, to be there as a personal witness, to see him raise the dead and feed the hungry, and especially uh, his wonderful stories. You call them parables, his parabolic teaching. And so some thought, well, my, this would be an interesting way of life. And besides, there may be some personal benefit in it all. If I get sick, hmm, Jesus can heal me. <laughs> if I'm hungry, Jesus can feed me. What could be more interesting than that? I will follow you everywhere. But there must have been something wrong with the man's motivation. Because we can see this reflected in Jesus' response. As a matter of fact, we really don't understand any of these so-called followers until we look into Jesus' response. And Jesus responds by saying, well, foxes have holes, 
Birds have nests. I don't have any place. I'm a homeless person, literally. I don't have a place to lay my head. What Jesus, I think, is saying is, young man, it isn't easy to be a follower of Jesus. Life won't be as, well, as comfortable as you think it very well may be. It requires sacrifice. It requires dedication, discipline, surrender. Foxes in their winter holes and birds in their snug little nests have it better than I do. If that's what you're expecting, you're going the wrong direction now. You see, this so-called follower, this man who's making his profession of faith, to be a follower of Jesus, represents that host of people for whom Christianity is a rather comfortable thing. And we tend to make it rather comfortable. Huh? It's a pleasant association with nice people, isn't it? Um, people who encourage us and help us when we're down, even pray for us when we're ill, and visit us when we're homeless, when we're lonely. So many who are members of the church have really not, never done anything that made them uncomfortable to demonstrate they're a follower of Jesus. I'll never forget, uh, I was teaching catechism. I was a, a college student teaching catechism to, I think, 13 and 14-year-olds in, or excuse me, Sunday school. 13 and 14 year olds. And we were, we were studying part of the Bible which uh, had a martyr, one of the martyrs for the faith. I, I, I forget who it was even, one of the martyrs in the New Testament. And to try to gain them some personal response, I said, um, is it difficult to be a Christian? <laughs> and one lad, and I don't... Uh, have anything against him for it because it's the impression he got from us. He said, what's so hard about being a Christian? He said, all you have to do is go to church, read the Bible, and pray, and you're a Christian. Well, somehow we've given people that it's, it's not that difficult to be a believer. Huh? Um, I hesitate to quote Pastor Greg, but just this morning he told us, literally, to get up off of our behinds, didn't you? Did you know you were being quoted at times? Probably wasn't in your notes. You probably, <laughs> but, but it's true, isn't it? It's true. Have you ever done anything? Have you ever gone out of your way to, to demonstrate you're a follower of Jesus? We've made it so comfortable. As a matter of fact, it's kind of comfortable in that big chair, isn't it, at 6 o'clock Sunday night, isn't it? Well, at least you've... <laughs> That's a hidden compliment, that at least. <laughs> but I'm a little wary of uh, complimenting anybody for their religious practice because we tend to think that makes us a little better. And that would be bad. Just because we're a little more faithful than someone else in our personal devotions, for instance, in our church attendance, doesn't make us better. As a matter of fact, to think that makes us better makes us worse because that's pride. That's spiritual pride, and that's bad. 
uh, C.S. Lewis uh, claims that pride was the original sin. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the devil tempted them at their pride. Be like God. Be like God. And they fell for it. And we certainly want to avoid that. But that's the first one we have here, a warning from Jesus. Comfortable following is not true following. So let's turn to the second example that we have of a reluctant follower. It's in the next two verses where we read, he said to another man, follow me. The first man takes the initiative and says, I will follow you, Jesus. Now Jesus takes the initiative, and he says to another, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go home and bury my father. Now that's not much of a request, is it? Isn't it? Is it? I mean, after all, Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever you go now but I have to go home and say goodbye. Well, that may be, uh, on the surface of things, uh, an easy way to understand this. But in the light of of the culture in which this is brought to us, there's there's a deeper meaning, there's a deeper purpose. It was always the responsibility in that ancient culture for the eldest son to stay home and take care of the folks until they die. No park place back there in Palestine, you see. So this man is likely saying, Jesus, I'll follow you, but I've got something right now that's a little more important. I'm going home and I'm going to take care of my father until he dies. And then I'll follow you. So for him, something was more important than following Jesus. And that's why I call him a hesitating follower. And I think that's the understanding, that's the proper way to interpret this, because of Jesus' response. Jesus says, let the dead bury bury their own dead, but you preach the kingdom of God. Um, There's there's a, a, a modern interlinear translation of the Bible. I forget the number, right? Uh, the, the, the title of it just now, I hunted for it, but I couldn't find it. Um, that interprets this text this way. It says, Jesus' response is as follows. Let those who are spiritually dead, they're going to stay home anyway. They're not going to do anything for the kingdom. Well, that's not all part of the translation, but let those who are spiritually dead Take care of the physical dead. You've got something more important to do. You must go out and preach the kingdom of God. The Bible says some rather dramatic things. It says, if you love your father or mother more than me, Jesus says, you're not worthy of me. That seems rather harsh, doesn't it? But all it is is saying... Jesus must come first. To be a follower of Christ means he's number one. The interesting thing is that following Jesus makes everything else in our lives 
richer and fuller. Now we've got these the sermons in the morning on uh, the family of faith. And this morning, the husband love your wife, wives recognize the spiritual authority of your husband, and so forth. Now these lesser responsibilities all become enriched and fuller when Jesus comes first, because loyalty to Christ just transforms our attitudes and perspective, our mind and, and the way we live, and we become enriched in all the other uh, relationships. Um, there was a, a famous coach of a famous football team who said, who happened to be a, a very sincere Roman Catholic. But when he was interviewed, he said the most important thing in his life was his faith. And I hope he meant his faith in Jesus, but he said his faith. And the second most important thing in his life was his family. And thirdly, his friends, his loyalty to his friends. And his fourth was football. <laughs> and yet he was one of the most uh, successful coaches in NFL, a National Football League uh, history. That's the proper relationship to which we are called. Not this hesitating follow, I've got to take care of something else first, and then I'll respond to the Lord, but let Jesus be number one. So there you have the comfortable follower, the hesitating follower, and we have one more. I call him the compromising follower. The last two verses of this passage. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. This seems like a very simple request, too, doesn't it? I think I got these confused a bit, a little. I hope you got the point anyway. Um, let me go home and say goodbye to my family. Jesus' response seems strange. He says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. How are we to understand this? What hint does Jesus give us of the impropriety of the motives of this gentleman who claims to be a follower, wants to be a follower of Jesus, but he wants this one concession. Let me go home and say goodbye to my family. Well, I really didn't understand this as, until I had an experience in Amsterdam. We lived in an apartment building with 44 uh, families, and there were only two that weren't Dutch. It was my family and a Turkish family. He came from Ankara, Turkey. And he was a Muslim. I spoke often to him about his faith. He was uh, not a practicing Muslim, but his wife was. She was a five prayers a day Muslim. And we had a very good relationship between each other and had open discussions. But he told me that before he left Ankara, he had a degree in engineering from the University of Ankara, and he was hired by the Fokker's aircraft factory in Holland. 
Uh, I don't think it's in existence anymore. But Fokkers uh, used to make planes. In fact, they made the majority of the planes for the German army in the First World War from that factory. And he was a very intelligent uh, man. He spoke English like you and I do. I mean, you, you'd think he was raised in Illinois. He ended up in Rockford, Illinois, in an engineering company right in this state. And we, met, we uh, visited even after they uh, immigrated to the US. But he told me that before he left Ankara, he, he resigned from his job, and he said, I spent two months just living it up. I went out every night with my friends, and things he told me he did were, shouldn't be repeated among us. And I began to wonder if, when I thought of this passage, whether maybe Bexite Ulcer's attitude was this, Precisely the attitude of this man. He would follow Jesus, but that wouldn't be a very interesting life. He went, wanted to go back home for a period of time and live the old life with his family for a while. And then he'd be ready to follow Jesus. Maybe he thought it would be a little boring, wouldn't be much fun. He had to give up too much. I'll never forget the Marine when I was a Navy chaplain and serving with the Marines in Quantico, Virginia, and uh, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, late 60s, early 70s. And I was trying to convince this, I was actually the brig chaplain, I mean, the prison chaplain at Camp Lejeune, one chaplain for 500 Marine prisoners. And uh, of course, I was expected to have counseling sessions with them. And, uh, try to encourage them to make a change in their lives. Many of them were in for drugs and other even more serious uh, reasons. And one of the Marines said he had decided to enjoy life. He said, I know the life I live will, he literally said, I know I'll end up in hell. But he said, a lot of my buddies are going to be there too. That was his attitude. He wanted to live as he considered the kind of life he should live. And um, the consequences, well, they were to, were to follow. Well, this man was at least not that as pessimistic about the life. He would likely at least live a little while apart from his relationship to Jesus, and then he would surrender to this boring and rather unhappy way of life that Jesus required. He had the wrong conception of the Christian life, didn't he? Christian life is the life of joy. Jesus, the night before he was crucified, said to his disciples, my joy will be in you. He spoke of joy on the way to the cross. There's joy in following Jesus. In 1 John chapter 1, the Apostle John reminds us of that in these words. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that we, you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. 
Jesus had joy, and we know the joy of the Lord when we follow him fully. And so my appeal to you is be a true follower of Jesus. And I hope when you face temptations, it's not easy to be a Christian, that's true. It's not easy to admit you're a sinner and need to repent. It's not easy to fight temptation. It's not easy to fight pride, right? Selfishness, looking out for ourselves. It's not easy to stand up for Jesus in that moment of tension when you hear his name blasphemed. But God, Christ give, God gives us strength to, to be the kind of follower that he intends us to be. There's joy in following Jesus.